already, you can turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 20 again, because that is going to be our focus this evening. Glory in the highest, as the angels appear to the shepherds. I'll begin reading at verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to the Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Amen. Well, let us pray. Our great God, we ask again that you would send forth your spirit amongst us this evening as we come and consider your word. We ask and pray that you enlighten our hearts and minds, that you give us illumination to better understand what your word says, especially a text that can be familiar to us. Help us to see its meaning, help us to see its purpose, and help us to see, once again, uh, the glories of Christ and all that he does for us. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Uh, be pleased to strengthen your saints this night. Be pleased to save sinners. And we do pray in all things you would be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, during my time at seminary, I wrote a paper on Christ as the gate of the sheep. And I remember asking my professor, uh, are there any Greco-Roman you know, uh, contemporary sources that talk about shepherding sheep? And he said to me, no. And the reason he said no is because shepherding a sheep is much like ditch digging. There aren't going to be many manuals about it. There are not going to be many sort of books that tell you how to shepherd the sheep or how to dig a ditch. And the reason he said that is because a shepherd was considered a lowly job. One does not write manuals on how to shepherd the sheep. And the reason this is important is because we see Luke's emphasis in his gospel seems to be to whom the Savior has come. And he has come to a lowly people. And this theme of lowliness continues with these men who are the shepherds. There is this great revelation that has come. The word has become flesh and dwelt among us. But as we see in verses 1 through 7, it kind of comes with a bit of a whimper. We see that there's this decree. And then we see some travel. And then we see that they have the baby. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. There isn't much fanfare until we come to the shepherds, until we come to the angels appear to these shepherds by night. He wants us to see the significance of what is going on by, uh, Luke wants us to see the significance of what is going on by whom uh, God reveals the mysteries of Christ, the mysteries of the incarnation, the, the blessedness and the consolation of Israel that comes in Christ Jesus. He reveals them to these lowly 
people. And so we see this lowly birth of the Savior in verses 1 through 7. It's a fulfillment of the angel's prophecy. It's a fulfillment of Micah's prophecy, the one who is born in Bethlehem. And I think there is a problem that we can glean out of what we see in verses 8 through 20. And the problem that we can glean is with respect to our great need. The message provides comfort to speak to our greatest need. There's the big picture. Man has sinned against God. Man has sinned against this thrice holy God, and therefore man needs a savior. But we even narrow it further. When we see what sin does, we see the cloudiness of sin causes people to look for a savior in one who appears regal rather than one born in a manger. You see, what God has done in history and what Luke is emphasizing as well is he's shattering our pride. Pride that is shattered in God's marvelous condescension, shattered by a king in a manger, and shattered by these shepherds who proclaim the mysteries of Christ. It's not something you'd expect, but that's just how God works. God goes against man's convention, and God brings about his salvation for people who are so very undeserving. And so we see in Luke 2, verses 8 through 20, glad tidings that is proclaimed to the lowly. It is proclaimed to the lowly, and then these lowly shepherds become the mouthpiece of the greatest, one of the greatest events in human history, God dwelling amongst his people, among us, dwelling with man. So it's glad tidings, great joy, and is proclaimed to the lowly. And we'll look at this under two headings this evening. First of all, we'll see angels we have heard on high, verses 8 through 14, and secondly, we'll see shepherds we have heard below in verses 15 through 20. So angels we have heard on high, verses 8 through 14, and then shepherds we have heard below in verses 15 through 20. So let's first look at angels we have heard on high in verses 8 through 14, and both my points have the same structure. There's glad tidings that is brought, there are different messengers, there's diff and then there is praise, and it's different, different beings who are engaging in praise to God, but nonetheless, it is the same message. And so we first of all see the glad tidings that the angels bring in verses 8 through 12. Notice we see the setting in verse 8, but again, we need to see verses 1 through 7. We've seen God's redemptive historical providence. Again, there isn't much fanfare or not much that would draw our attention to verses 1 through 7, other than the fact that the one prophesied and promised has been born. But there is a decree. I mean, uh, Caesar Augustus has no idea what he is doing. Caesar Augustus is doing it for his purposes, for his glory, but God is using it for his glory. God is using it for his purpose to bring the king to the birthplace. And then we see he is born in a very lowly place. He comes to a lowly people. He doesn't come to rulers, scribes, or Pharisees, but he comes to shepherds. He comes to a lowly people because we are lowly, and he is just the savior and king that we need. So he comes to the shepherds. So we see their task and perception uh, 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 in verse 8. We see what they're doing with respect to the setting. They were in the same country where the savior was born. Shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Historically, likely shepherds shared sheepfolds. So that during the day, they would go out, their sheep would graze, but at night to protect their sheep from bears and bandits and all sorts of animals that are out there, they would bring them back. They'd probably share a fold. 
the Bible kind of does away with all of our pictures of what uh, went on during that night. We have these pictures that we see where the angel, the shepherds are just hanging out in the middle of the fields, and then the, the angels come about. That's not what happened. They're probably by the sheepfold. They're probably watching over their flocks. That's probably what is going on. If they were all roaming about in the middle of the night, uh, they'd probably lose a few sheep. There'd probably be a couple bears that snatch a couple sheep. It would not be a good thing. So they're probably all together, all these shepherds with their flocks, uh, watching over their sheep, likely at these sheepfolds, uh, to help one another, to help protect the sheep and care for one another in this way. So there, it's nighttime. It's quiet, keeping watch over their flock by night. There isn't much fanfare going on. And then we see this fearful revelation, verse 9. And behold... An angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And so we see these shepherds. There's been no fanfare just yet. There's no press conference that has been planned. But we see the, she the angels come at midnight to proclaim the mystery, to proclaim the blessedness, to proclaim the gospel of good tidings of great joy. So God brings this sudden revelation. The, the king has been born and now the angels come and appear. They come and declare what has gone on. Now, most of the time, we have no idea what God is doing in his providence, right? You have no idea what God does in his providence, right? You, when you think about your own life, you wonder, what is God doing in my life? We have no idea what's going on. And the same thing is true with redemptive history. We need him to tell us what is going on. We need him to proclaim to us and explain to us what is happening. And that's what we see with the promise with uh, Zacharias, the promise as the angel Gabriel appears to Zacharias and to Mary and says, here's what's going to happen. And then also now we have the, sh uh, the angels appearing to the shepherds to proclaim. The angels have come, they're messengers of God, they have zeal for holiness. The non-fallen angels, the holy angels have zeal for the holiness of God. So perhaps it is Gabriel. Perhaps it's Gabriel again. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and he's shining. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. We need God to explain this to us. David says, but God does not leave us in the dark, trying to puzzle it out about Jesus' birth. He sends an angel to interpret it for the shepherds and for us. And so the angels come, they appear, they reveal the glory of God that the blessed presence of God Almighty shining in that dark place. And what's interesting is this word is also used with respect to the day when Paul, when God appears to Paul, the risen Lord appears to Paul in Acts chapter 26, talking about Paul's conversion. We see God shining in the darkness. That's exactly what God did for us in our conversion, didn't he? He shone in the darkness. He showed us Christ. He spoke concerning who the Savior was. And by his grace, we believed upon the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So it is a great sight, though, for these shepherds. They were greatly afraid. That is a proper response. Again, they're probably worried about beasts and bandits, thieves, tigers, all that sort of good stuff. Who would have thought that something so marvelous and so awesome would appear? Here is an angel. Here is a minister of God. Here's the one who who's coming to minister in this way to reveal the significance of the one who was born and laid in a manger. And so they fear. It's an appropriate response. Zacharias also fears when the angel Gabriel appears to him in Luke chapter 1. And so they're greatly afraid. But when we're greatly afraid, what do we need? We need a message of comfort. And that's exactly what God does by way of these angels. Verse 10. 
Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all peoples. He's bringing them this message of hope, this gospel, this good news, something that must be proclaimed and uh, must be done. It's, it's important to see what God has done in Christ Jesus. It must be proclaimed, but it needs this angelic fanfare because it is so unexpected. We need the heavenly host to confirm what has, what has happened. Here is this great light that has come. Here are the angels explaining it and will declare it. There is good tidings of great joy and comfort. And it will be great joy to all people, the Jew first, but also will spread about to uh, the Gentiles as well. And when you think about Israel's history, again, it has been a dark time for them. 400 years since the Lord spoke. 400 years since God spoke by way of the prophet Malachi. They were in darkness. They were uh, under the Roman Empire. They needed a great light to come and shine. And here is that great light who has come in Christ Jesus. The people were waiting for the child of Isaiah 9. The one who would come and have the government upon his shoulders. The one who would shine as a light. So it comes to Israel first. I mean, we see that uh, Simeon, we see Anna, they talk about how great here is the salvation uh, that has come. Uh, uh, the salvation has come for all peoples. We see with Simeon uh, in, um, uh, in verses 25 and following. Uh, but it's not just for Israel. It's going to be for all people. All those who believe shall have peace. I mean, we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, we see how the Gentiles and Jews are brought together in the peace that comes in Christ Jesus. And the opposite of peace is what? It's enmity. It is enmity with God. And when we've sinned against God, what happens? We have had enmity with God. God has separated himself from us because he is holy and we are not. And therefore, we need a, reconcil a reconciliation. We need peace to be restored with God. And that's exactly what we have in this good tidings of great joy. Here is the good news of the Savior who has been born. So it is good tidings. And then we see the content of that message in verse 11. We see, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The people of Israel were longing for the Messiah to come. And here the angels have come and proclaimed the one who is Christ the Lord. He has been born in this specific place. He is the Savior, not Caesar. Christ is the Savior, not Caesar Augustus. This language would have been used for Caesar Augustus as the Savior, but Caesar is just a pawn and a puppet in the providence of God when it comes to the salvation of sinners, even with his census that brings the king to the birthplace. But here the angels are saying, who is Christ the Lord? He is Christ the King. He is the anointed one that has been promised. The Lord of Israel. We've seen how the Lord will come. We've seen the promise of the Lord's coming. With respect to uh, the prophecies of Zacharias, with respect to what Elizabeth says to Mary, it is the Lord who has come. It's fulfilling the promise that God made to David that the Messiah has now come. The Messiah shall come and he shall reign and bring a kingdom that is far greater and lasts longer than Caesar Augustus's kingdom. He is far greater and requires the heavenly host to give this blessed message. So they give this message, but thankfully they also give a sign. 
They say to the shepherds, because this is also shocking. I mean, they're probably perhaps taking their turns by watch possibly, and boom, here come the angels. And so they're maybe they're a little groggy. They don't know what, here's a sign, verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, cloths lying in a manger. Doesn't give the full details, but the reality is there probably weren't many babies in a manger. <laughs> That's probably the clear sign. And so when they walk into that city, when they walk into Bethlehem, oh, that's the one. So here's the sign. Here is this king who has come. Here is the savior. And it is something to be believed. It is so shocking, but it requires a heavenly proclamation and it is something to be received. So they give this blessed message, good tidings, peace has come. So there is this glad tidings that the angel brings. But then we also see how there's heavenly praise in verses 13 and 14. Such an event should cause heavenly praise, right? The angels, their goal is to praise God and to have zeal for his holiness. That is their purpose in life. So more than one angel, verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. The angels praise God for a savior who doesn't even shed his blood for them. The Savior does not die for the angels. The Savior dies for wicked man. The fallen angels, that's it. They're not saved. They can't be saved. But fallen man can be saved because of this Savior and what he brings. But the angels nonetheless love God. They glory God. They have zeal for his holiness. In fact, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, if you read the children's catechism, we do that with our children uh, it says, what is the third petition of the Lord's prayer? And it says, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the meaning? What is the purpose of the third petition? That we would have zeal for the will of God, just as the angels do in heaven. That we would love the things of God, that we would glory in the things of God. When we talk about the will of God, yes, we believe in his unfolding will, but we also believe and talk about what he asks of us. What is it that he asks of his people? What ought we to do? That is what we pray for with respect to the will of God as redeemed saints. But the angels have zeal for God's holiness. And here they have zeal and praise for God and what he has done. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Praise to God most high. The most high would come upon Mary and overshadow her. We see that the one who is the most high, we see that uh, Jesus is the son of the most high God in Luke chapter eight with one of the demons of uh, saying that very thing. Who are you? The son of the most high God. You see, the one who has come down is the one who is most high God. And we ought to then glory in the most high God for the salvation that he brings because he brings on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Hope for the earth below comes in this babe wrapped in swaddling cloth and it is god's good will god's good pleasure we don't deserve anything but it's out of god's sheer good pleasure that he would send forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so the angels bring these good tidings of great joy the angels sing heavenly praise to god most high because it is a good news uh, for lowly sinners the main emphasis that we see here is the message that's why it's angels we have heard on high and shepherds we have heard below it's the same message but they're different messengers they have the same purpose and goal to glory god most high but here come the angels and they say here is the one 
who fulfills and dies on our behalf to help us in our greatest need. And our greatest need is sin, isn't it? Our greatest need uh, is, is to be saved from our sins. We have a king who comes to the lowly place for a lowly people. You and I are not high and lofty. We think we're high and lofty, but we are lowly. And we have a king who came to that lowly place. And the good news is he has brought peace. And through him, we have peace with God. And thankfully, that peace with God continues. Even if we have conflict with others in this fallen world, even if we hear of conflicts around the world, if we are in Christ, this promise of peace never changes. We have peace with God. The God who once had enmity with us, we now have peace with God. And that is the blessed message of the gospel and what the gospel brings. But the angels had to declare it because it is so mysterious. The angels of heaven had to share it first with these lowly shepherds. So the shepherds heard the angels on high. Hopefully we hear the angels on high, but we also do need to hear the shepherds below as well. And so we'll transition to shepherds we have heard below. Angels we have heard on high, shepherds we have heard below. And the structure is the same, the glad tidings that the shepherds bring, verses 15 through 19. And then we'll see the shepherdly praise in verse 20. But we see verses 15 through 19, the glad tidings they bring, the word that they bring that we need to hear. And so notice they receive the good news. As we talked about this morning, you either accept or reject it. Do you believe it or do you reject it? Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing, see this word, see if this word has come to pass, that, oh, that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They have faith in God. The Lord God has revealed this to them. We see that supernatural character of faith. It is only something that God can wrought because what God does goes against man's convention. When you think about one who would be one's champion, you wouldn't think he was born in a manger. You wouldn't think that there is no fanfare. Yeah, thankfully we do have heavenly fanfare, but most people in Bethlehem have no idea what's going on. But the angels come and they declare it to these shepherds. And so even with the shepherds being the first proclaimers of the gospel, that would have gone against man's convention as well. And so they hear it, they want to go see it, the angel had come, it was midnight, it was shepherds, baby in a manger. All these things don't seem to make a lot of sense. When the heir was born to an emperor, all the world heard. Everyone knew what was going on, but nobody has any idea, especially what we see in verse 7, what has gone on. And so the shepherds come and they now declare it. They let the whole world know. We like to let the whole world know about our things, don't we? And that's what Twitter and Facebook and Instagram are all for. We think everybody needs to hear everything that is going on. But, you know, initially that did not happen for our Lord. Eventually it was spread to the ends of the earth. But we see that they start it. Let us now go to Bethlehem, they say in verse 16. They come with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. It was exactly as the angels have said. They find him. They find that sign. And then we see them proclaim in verse 17. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. The angels proclaimed it. Now the shepherds come and proclaim it as well. Now, 
some people might say, well, then do we need pastors if we have shepherds? Well, pastors are also called shepherds, by the way. But the point, uh, the point I'm trying to highlight is we still need pastors today, men who are trained, men who have the qualifications, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. But Luke really is trying to highlight something important, and it's something that all pastors need to understand. Pastors are jars of clay. The message is more important than the pastor. The message is more important than the one who delivers it. And what we're Luke is trying to highlight here, that we see that even these lowly shepherds are proclaiming something so marvelous. And the point is that the message would shine forth more than the messenger. That's why Paul calls proclaimers of the gospel jars of clay. They have cracks, they have issues, they have problems, but it's the glory of Christ that is meant to shine forth. And we see it's shepherds. I mean, if it was scholars, maybe people would believe it, but people would have to have a double take with a shepherd because, again, there isn't much written about shepherds when it comes to their job. You wouldn't pick a shepherd to be the one who goes and tells you important news, but that's exactly what God does. He proclaims by way of these shepherds that the Savior has come. They make widely known who this child is, this one in the manger. And we see that response to this proclamation, verse 18. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherd. Lots of people are present for the census. Lots of people are here for a specific reason. That is with respect to Caesar's census. So a lot of people would have been there. And so they hear it concerning this child. Again, God's providence is blessed. They hear these things that were told to them by the shepherd. So all the world seems to hear. All those who come seem to hear. But then verse 19, we see Mary's response. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That is, she preserved it. She kept it. She stored info in her mind with, uh, for careful consideration. Now, we know that Gabriel appeared to her and said, you're going to be the son of the highest. But did she really understand what that meant? Did she really grasp that? What does that actually mean? And so we see Luke tells us that she keeps things in her heart. She keeps all the things in her heart. We see again in verse 51, she ponders, well, these shepherds are proclaiming who this one is. And, and then, you know, Jesus, or when he's a, when he's a, a child, uh, older than, uh, in verses 41 through 49 or 50, why do you seek me? Why do you not know that I must be about my father's business? And so she keeps all these things. She ponders all these things. She, even as Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor, God, she keeps all of these things. And because it takes some time to understand the significance, doesn't it? We, we believe it. We believe who Jesus is, but it, it's going to take us a long time to fully grasp the significance of that. When we consider who our God is and what he has done, what that means, it's going to take us all of eternity to fully exhaust the blessedness of what God has done. So that could be in view. She kept all these. What does this mean? doesn't say she's rejecting it, obviously, but she's keeping it in her heart. She kept it. She pondered it. She was considering all of it. That was her response. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So good tidings that is brought by the shepherds. And then notice the response of the shepherds. Verse 20, this shepherdly praise. They set their mind on the things that are above, and what do they do? They praise God. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen uh, as it was told 
them. They set their mind on the things that are above. They've heard this message of great joy. This one who was wrapped in swaddling cloth and placed in a manger. He is the one whom they proclaim. He is the one whom they glorify. That is the appropriate response. This message of great joy. These lowly shepherds have set their mind on heavenly things. They believed what the angels said. And God now has affirmed it for them. It was such a great mystery. Such a thing only God can do. A baby wrapped in a manger. Calvin says, if the cradle of Christ had such an effect upon them as to make them rise from the stable and the manger to heaven, how much more powerful ought the death and resurrection of Christ be in raising us to God? They see a baby wrapped in a manger, and yet we have the word of God. We have it completed. We have it written. We have it inscripturated. We have it all here. We have Christ who died and rose again. Will you believe we have Christ who died and rose again. We have the full revelation here in the scriptures. Will we believe upon him? This is their message. Here is the message of glad tidings of great joy. And God affirms all that he said. And the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And brethren, just as Christ has come to a lowly people, we as a lowly people ought then to praise God. That is our sole purpose in life. Praise God. That's it. We have to glorify God in all that we do, whether we eat or drink. But the main thing that we do in life is to glorify God. And the main way we do that is by singing praise to his name by way of worship. Jesus says, my father is seeking those who worship me. John chapter 4. Then he goes on to say, God is spirit and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we consider this message, when we consider God's revelation of it, we consider what God has done, when we consider who we are, shouldn't we then praise his name? We should bow before him and praise him. We should not bow before anything else. Not before trees, not before presents. Not saying you can't open presents tomorrow, but the main thing is Christ Jesus. We bow before him. We honor and glorify him because he has the one who is provided for all of our need. Our salvation is found in him. And these shepherds proclaim the blessed message of Christ. If you're an unbeliever, please believe on Christ. Glad tidings, great joy, mercy, forgiveness in this one who was born in a manger because he is the one that we need. And I'll close with a quote from my favorite preacher, Dale Ralph Davis. He says, God did not send an economist because our deepest need is not poverty. He didn't send a philosopher because our trouble is not incoherence. He didn't send a psychologist for our problem is not maladjustment, not an entertainer for our problem is not boredom, nor an administrator for we, are, uh, we were not disorganized, nor a religious leader because we are not, not many of us anyway, irreligious. Savior, Messiah, Lord. Such is the proclamation of Christmas. May we hear the angels on high, and may we hear the shepherds below. Well, let us pray. Our great God, we are thankful for your ways, and we're thankful for your way of salvation. We're thankful for your proclamation of salvation. We're thankful for your providence, how you brought it about as we read about our Christ and how uh, 
the first gospel was proclaimed to him, how we see the shepherds are the ones who receive this blessed message and then go and proclaim uh, the one born in a manger. We know that this is a great mystery. This is a great, would have been a great difficulty for those that heard it, yet we know, oh God, uh, that salvation is wrought by you. We know that faith is wrought by you in the hearts and lives of your people. And so we are thankful that we have a king who came to the lowly place, and we're thankful that we have uh, the blessed message of eternal life that comes from a lowly people. For we know that you are a good God who does bring good tidings of great joy, and we're thankful that that is the gospel. We're thankful that there we can sing with the angels, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for Christ and what he has done. We ask and pray that you bless us and keep us tonight, that you would help us uh, as we walk as pilgrims in this world. And we are thankful for this message that we can proclaim. And we're thankful that because of what you've done, we can honor you in all that we do. Help us to do that. And we're thankful because of this message, we can sing uh, praises to your name and worship you, world without end. And we long for that time when we shall do so forever. So thank you for the new song that we have in Christ Jesus. We ask and pray that you'd help us to recognize that you're the one who is worthy of all praise and honor and help us to praise your name, we pray in the name of Christ.